Today we're in Genesis, the end of chapter 39 and chapter 40. Um, but I also want to read to you a verse out of, of Micah. And I should have marked it to get there quicker. I, want to, I, could, I think I could quote it, but I'm afraid I would not quote it correctly. So um, I want you to turn, if you can, to Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. Now you have the luxury of looking in the front of your Bible and finding the page number. There it is. Got it. Micah 6, 8. And, and it says this. Sorry. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord, or Yahweh, it's in all capitals, require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That word justice means to act fair uh, toward people. Kindness, you shouldn't have any trouble with that. And then lastly, to walk humbly with your God. And you would think that that's an automatic, but it's not. You would think it's automatic that we'd be humble because of the God we serve, uh, who is the God above all gods, Jehovah. There are other gods. Um, that's why uh, the Ten Commandments say, don't have any other gods before him, because there are other gods. There are lesser gods. They're all created by him. But they have set themselves up as gods. People worship them as gods. And I will tell you, today we see a rise in an old Egyptian, Babylonian system. Remember, we always hear about Baal or Baal, however you might say that, B-A-A-L. Well, they're doing that still today. They're still worshiping this false god, this, this lesser god type idea. And so, there's only one true God, and that's Jehovah God. And since we know Yahweh, since we know him as Father, that ought to humble us, you would think. But I find in my life, and, and uh, I don't want to judge anybody else, but it seems sometimes, it seems a problem for all of us that we don't have humility. Well, I, I'm, I'm reading that verse because I want to show, hopefully, in the life of Joseph, humility before God. This uh, prison will do that to you, or it should um, it would do that to you. You would think that uh, a guy in prison might get a little humble because and, and some do, I'm sure, because many come to the Lord there. Uh, but Joseph has had a weird journey here um, because he had a, a dream as a kid. He was a teenager probably, mid-teens. He's 17 when he's sold into slavery. We don't know how long he's in Potiphar's house before he gets thrown into prison, but probably a little while. He could be 18, he could even be 19, but he's still relatively young. He could still be 17 as far as we know. And so we're going to come to that passage in a minute, but I want you to be thinking about this verse, or not this verse, uh, this to take home with you, if you can go put that. It takes humility to honor God. And that's why in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, when it says that by grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man or so that no man can boast. God does all the work so he can get all the glory. He uses us, but, but we're like a, just a tool. Somebody, somebody built this, this pulpit that I'm using today, and they had to use tools to build it. Can you imagine the tools standing up and saying, look what I made? 
No, you were just used by the craftsman, the creator, to make that. And so that's what God does in our life. And it takes humility for us to follow God. And let me just uh, remind you of the end of chapter 39. Uh, if you want to, why don't you stand up with me? That'll help us all. And as soon as, as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. If you remember last week, she's accusing him of something he didn't do, uh, of, a, a, of attacking her uh, in, a, in a sexual way. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. And showed him steadfast love. And there's that word, chesed or chesed. You just heard Pastor Andy say that word just for um, that last song. That love of God, that, that unstoppable, incomparable love of God. And gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, Yahweh made it succeed. Would you pray with me? Lord God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. I thank you for Joseph and his life and what's going on with him here. Oh Lord, there's so many thoughts in my head. I've read so much about this that, uh, Lord, I don't want to trip myself up in, in, in helping us to see it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would guide my thoughts, my words, that I only say the words that you want me to say, the, 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 the bring out the things you want me to bring out, God, out of your word. It is so rich and so deep and so wonderful. Should we have utter leisure in our entire lives, we didn't have to eat or sleep or anything else, to study your word and plunge its depths, we could never get to the bottom of what your word says and teaches us. So today, give us what we need. Give us our daily bread. We can't, we can't even receive this without your spirit. For indeed, you alone get all the glory. There should be no God before you. Help us to walk humbly before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I, I'd like to say that in general, we are, uh, we're seeing in the life of Joseph, it has been called the death of a vision or the death of a dream. I, I would ask you this, who gave Joseph the dreams that he had that he related to his brothers and his, and his parents. There are dreams we have that are just our mind. My wife and I call it sorting and filing because that is what our brains do when we rest. When we dream, it's taking all the things that you've seen and experienced the last two weeks and sorting and filing it so it makes sense in your subconscious mind. And so we understand that. But in the Old Testament especially, and the Bible says that when the Spirit came, uh, Old men would dream dreams, have vision. Young men would have visions. We, we, we know that, that that is not impossible, but we don't base our belief on that. We base our belief on what God has given us objectively. But God can do that, but sometimes it may not be God. That's why we have to be very careful. But Joseph definitely had dreams, and they were not from himself. They were God-given those to him in his sleep. We only know that because the Bible tells us that. He had this dream. God gave it. Now, Joseph's been attacked by his brothers, sold to a caravan of slave traders, sold into slavery in Egypt, now falsely accused of attempted assault on his master's wife and put in prison. 
Brother, that's death. <laughs> that is the death of a vision. But if you remember, we talked about Joseph being in a pit. His brothers threw him into. This prison is called a pit later. And we called that first pit, first the pit of despair. But then we also, last week, talked about being a pit of decision. And I cannot prove from Scripture, the Bible records no prayer of Joseph whatsoever. But there is this thing that we see after that pit... Joseph cannot speak, and the Bible cannot speak about him without him bringing God into the situation. Every time after that, he, he's talking about God. Now, that is so contrary to a lot of people's experience today, wouldn't you agree? Or most people's experience in, for all time, really. A lot of times when people suffer, they say, oh, why am I suffering? I didn't do anything to deserve this. You know, you know that's kind of a... Tragic mistake to think that way anyway. We just, the only thing I deserved was hell. If I didn't get hell, I got more than I deserved. Okay? So I'm grateful for that, number one. But, but a lot of times when something bad happens, we, we, oh God, you forgot me. You blame me. I read uh, the Babylon Bee pretty regularly. It's a, it started out as a Christian satire thing, kind of making fun of ourselves. It's gone into some politics too. But last week, uh, it, it talked about this toddler who no longer believes in loving, caring parents because they took away the steak knife he was running around the house with. <laughs> and I would encourage you to Google Babylon B and read that one. It's really good. And it just sounds like people today, oh, I was hurt by the church and God didn't answer my prayers. And so I just don't believe there's a loving, serving God anymore. He sounds like a toddler. He got his toy taken away. That's how we talk. Joseph, though, doesn't do that. Joseph, if he were somebody else, would have just, oh, God gave me a dream, and now I'm not going to be a king. I'm going to be a slave, and it's so horrible. But we don't see that. Joseph made a different decision, and he begins to honor God in everything he says and does. Not saying he didn't have that before. We don't know. The Bible keeps some of this cloudy. I've mentioned that he is a type of Christ. I hope I remember to show you a couple of things here about how this just mirrors what Jesus did. But even where we are, Jesus was, is God. He was with God from the beginning. He put aside deity, put on flesh and dwelt among us. And the Bible says he came to his own and his own received him not. His own nailed him to a tree. That's put, trying to put him in prison, trying to put him to death, right? So Joseph is already a picture of what Jesus did for us. But as we look at this today... I want you to see this. And I want to give you a, a, a quote. Uh, it's, it's, it's talking about prayer, but there's a line in the middle of it I want you to see. And it says this. The way God works is through prayer. That's why I said there's no prayer Joseph recorded. But I do believe when you're in trouble, it's kind of an automatic. You want to cry out to God. And I believe that's what Joseph did. If it is just through gifts, that will lead to pride. Prayer never leads to pride. Why? Because you're acknowledging that only God can do anything about it. Anytime you pray and what you pray about, what you're saying is, I can't do that, God, you've got to. Because God does, sometimes you pray and he goes, not me, it's you, you know. We ask him to do things you can do and he says, no, I'm not going to do that, you can do that. Notice he did not move the stone from Lazarus' tomb, nor did he unwrap him once he got up. But he did raise him from the dead. But the people could do the other. So we, we depend upon God to do what only God can do. The unrealness of Christianity is caused by prayerlessness. 
When we don't pray, it leads to pride because we begin to imagine that we did something. And so the first thing I want you to see is that humility is crucial to our faith. And we're still in chapter 39 with that. And it's verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. As Joseph goes to prison, he still, he, he exercises his humility. And the Bible says that Yahweh is with him. Now, in the Old Testament, they could not be dead sure of that. I mean, they were like, it would be very legitimate. God, where are you? Why aren't you with us? But if you were a saved person sitting here or listening to me through electronic means, whatever that might be, now we have an assurance that God is with us, don't we? Two places in Scripture give us that hope. Ephesians that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a down payment, as the earnest money. Uh, when you go to buy a house, you give, it's, historically it's been about $1,000, right? $1,000 check, you give it to them, I'm going, and it means I am going to buy the house. And if I don't buy the house, I lose $1,000. The Bible used the same term we use for that to describe the Holy Spirit in our life. In other words, if God says, no, I'm not going to bring you to heaven, it means he has to lose the Holy Spirit. And since the Holy Spirit is God, that's not possible. Thank you. So you cannot be saved and lost, saved and lost, saved and lost. We have the down payment. If you do not have the Spirit of God in Romans 8, you are not saved. Romans chapter 8. You just read the whole chapter and you'll find it. But also in Hebrews it says, God has said this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I've told you this a bunch of times. I'm going to tell you again until you remember. That that is the strongest verse in the Bible because it has five negatives in it. And in the Greek language in which that verse comes to us, in English, if you stack two negatives, it turns into a positive. I ain't going to no store means I'm going to some store. Right? Because that's just English. And I know ain't's not an official word, but it's now in the dictionary. So finally everybody caught up with us Southerners. But anyway, <laughs> but in, in the Greek language, every negative strengthens it. And it says, I will never, never, never leave you, nor never, never forsake you. He's making it stronger and stronger, and it's the strongest verse. The one thing that a Christian is assured of is God will always be with you. But you've got to acknowledge him, and you can't do that if you're proud. So, no matter what God does in your life, you ought to be grateful. Being beaten up by your brother and thrown in a pit, more than, better than you deserve. Because all you deserve is hell. Being thrown and sold into slavery, better than you deserve. You got a roof over your head and a meal to eat, better than you deserve. To be falsely accused, well, duh, we live in a fallen world. That's going to happen. It's better than you deserve. And being found in prison is better than you deserve. But God said, but the Bible says, but Yahweh was with him with steadfast love, with chesed, with never ending, never revocable mercy and love and Joseph catches it I really believe Joseph understands this and so God was with Joseph and Joseph is aware of that and Joseph has learned dependence upon God you see hum humility shows an awareness of our weakness it gives us an awareness of our weakness what happens when we show pride there's no place for pride in a Christian when we show pride we're saying I did it and, and listen, there is a, a true pride that's, you know, 
we can be proud, but we cannot be prideful. And we, we use this, because English has some words, we use several different ways and it gets cloudy. You mean, I am thankful, I'm joyful. Sometimes we use pride to mean that. But, but the biblical word for pride means, I think I did it. I think that I was able to accomplish it. Pastors and churches do this a lot. How many do y'all have going down there? Is that a mark of the favor of God, the spirituality? Listen, Joel Osteen preaches to tens of thousands of people every week. And he's a heretic. There are people with worldwide television ministries, quote unquote. Everything's a ministry now. You know, we're going to have a pencil ministry. I don't know what that means. I just, we've lost the meaning of the word. Ministry means to meet someone's needs with love and help and serve. So it doesn't mean that I can have a talent and then I call it a ministry. Okay? You can use that to minister, but it's not necessarily a ministry. Anyway, sorry. Soapbox time. There are people that are heard around the world and they're heretics. They do not know the scriptural God. They do not worship Jesus as revealed in the Bible. But Joseph had learned this dependence on God. You see, humility will not withstand scrutiny. <laughs> I'm so proud that I'm a humble man. <laughs> Wrote a book about it. First 10 book pages are pictures of me. <laughs> you know, it just, every time you lean on the fence of humility, it, it falls, it moves. You just, you got to, and you know what the Bible says about humility? It says it in James. Humble yourself. The, the, the command for humility is not to pray for humility. And in fact, I would warn against that. Because here's how God gives you humility. <laughs> Slaps you down, puts you in a pit, sells you into slavery, puts you in prison after being falsely accused. He's teaching Joseph true humility. How did Jesus learn obedience, humility, through the things he suffered? Doesn't mean he actually had to learn it. It means he experienced it. And what did Jesus do? He voluntarily took off deity and laid it aside and put on a human earth suit, according to Philippians, and dwelt with us, the great kenosis. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself to the point of obedience to death on a cross. He, with, he took humility upon himself. He humbled himself. So James tells us, humble yourself. In other words, quit being proud. Stop it. Don't do that. Stop. Just stop. If you, have you ever been, some, some of y'all never tried to take care of like a classroom of kids, but maybe you remember being there. And I, I remember, you know, like second, third, fourth grade type age group. Maybe you don't remember that. And, and I think I said this recently, but I'll probably repeat myself, but makes the point here. And everybody's talking. And the teacher goes, everyone be quiet. And all the goody two-shoes in the room start going, shh, you're making noise, just stop. <laughs> and the teacher was going to get frustrated because all she means is, everybody just stop making noise. <laughs> but then there's all those kids that think they're the teacher and they got to tell the other kids, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. And so now they went from talking to telling everybody be quiet and there's still noise going on. God says, quit being proud, be humble, stop it. And then we go, well, but stop, <laughs> just stop, quit, be still, and know I'm God. You know, the literal translation of that verse is relax, let go, and know that I am God. 
Where did that come from? Moses, he's got a staff in his hand and he's looking backwards and the armies of Pharaoh are coming. He's looking this way and there's an ocean in front of him and he cries out and God says, relax, let go and see that I'm God. Touch the water with your staff. (laughs) That's what God calls us to do and Joseph is getting this. Let me tell you, the shield of faith's not big enough to cover a puffed up man. It just isn't. So it's crucial to our faith to be humble because we are acknowledging that God is the one true God and master of all. Secondly, I want you to see that humility is crucial to our faithfulness. And and I'm still in chapter 39. We've got a lot in 40, but I'm going to cover that pretty quickly. But, But in chapter 39, verses 22 and 23, and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of the prisoners. And whatever was done, he was the one who did it. And this just blows my mind, verse 23. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. I cannot imagine that. We have a saying, people don't do what you expect, they do what you inspect, right? So Joseph comes in the prison, the prison, the prison guard goes, that guy's sharp. Hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you? And he sees his faithfulness, and in a minute, and not very long, Joseph's in charge of the whole thing. And he never inspects it. He doesn't have to worry about it. Joseph is so faithful, he doesn't even have to come inspect because he knows. He trusts Joseph implicitly to do the right thing. It takes humility to have that kind of faithfulness. But again, I want to remind you where Joseph is doing that. He's in prison. When later, when Pharaoh sends for him, it says he, he's brought out of the pit this prison is described as a pit. I don't know what that means. I, didn't, I haven't researched the word yet. When I get there, I will. I don't know if it's underground or it's just any prison's a pit. I don't, I don't know exactly the word being used there and exactly how it is used. But Joseph continues to be faithful to God in some really tough circumstances. He's doing the right thing in a bad situation. You see, it's always right to do right. It's never right to do wrong. If it's right to do wrong, then that wrong is a right. Is <laughs> the right. If you're supposed to do it, then it's, it is the right thing. That's that just common sense, y'all. It's, all, it's never wrong to do right, and it's always right to do wrong. That's horse sense, right? Well, if we live that way, we, we'd be better off, but we, we have some trouble with that. And so, humility just doesn't think so much of itself. Here's Joseph coming from these dreams where God reveals to him that he's going to rule and his brothers are going to bow down to him. He doesn't know that context yet. What He's going to be able to understand that later. And he goes from thinking, man, this is awesome. I'm 17 and God's going to put me in charge of everything. I don't know if that's what he's thinking, but that's very possibly. I mean, he's, he's a kid, right? To boom, 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 getting knocked down. His brother's wanting to kill him, then not killing him, but selling him and beating him up and sending him in. I, I always say that. It doesn't say they beat him up, but it, I can't imagine they didn't to overcome him. Throw him in a pit, sell him into slavery, get falsely accused, and now he's in prison in Egypt. Nobody knows where he is. He cannot correspond. There's no one phone call per prisoner. I mean, he is... He's stuck in nowhere's land. The only people that know he's there, prison guard, the other prisoners, and God himself. Dad doesn't know where he is. The brothers don't know where he is. Nobody knows where he is. 
It'd be real easy to give up and just start. I'm, I'm going to look out for me and mine because nobody else is looking out for me. But Joseph continues to trust God. And because he has humility, because he trusts God, he stays faithful to keep doing the right thing. And in doing the right thing, he becomes in charge of the whole prison. As a prisoner. <laughs> just think about the, the weirdness of that. Most of us cannot take much suffering. You don't have to put this one up there, but I had a quote down here that I can take, I can take any kind of suffering if it only lasts for a second. <laughs> Joseph is having this ongoing suffering, and yet he stays faithful. Man, what an amazing thing. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience to the things that he suffered. Thank you. That's the verse about Jesus. By the way, just in case you haven't made the point in your own mind yet, what makes you think you're not supposed to suffer? Jesus suffered. I'm just, that one thing alone ought to get you to quit listening to some of these crazies out there. The Christian life is not a life of ease. There's a great hymn in most hymn books has a line that says, should I be carried to the heavenly places on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win, to win the fight and sailed through bloody seas? That first song that was sung this morning, man, that is a warrior song. Deliver us from cowardice. We're marching out to take the kingdoms of the world for our Christ. And only way we can do that is if he is in us and with us and doing it through us. Man, I love that song, by the way. Maybe we'll sing it till y'all get tired of it. That'd be a good thing. I don't think I'll ever get tired of that one. Humility is also crucial to trust. If we're going to trust God, we have to remain humble. I want to give you another quote. Learn to pillow yourself on the Lord's promises and lay your head in his lap. This is where we can maintain our humility because, as I said, as a Christian, we ought to automatically just be humble because we're looking at the creator of the universe who spoke. We, we sang an indescribable, uncontainable. He spoke in the entire universe that we still are trying to even see it was created in a second, in a moment of time. He just said, stars be, and boom, we have a universe. That's unbelievable. I mean, it's crazy. If you can't believe in supernatural things today, you're not serving the God of the Bible. Because that's a supernatural book, tells about some supernatural things. And if you're saved, that's a supernatural event. And so, humility trusts God. Humility is crucial to us trusting God. Look at verse 1 of chapter 40. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt, Ms. Baker, committed offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with them and the two officers, the cupbearer and the baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. And they continued for some time in custody. So they're there a little while. And I want you to see something in their story. We have these circumstances that have been ordered by God. 
I go back to the beginning. Did God give Joseph those dreams or did he just eat some bad pizza before he went to sleep that night? No, God gave him those dreams. This was not just his brain working things out. It came out of nowhere and Joseph being immature, not understanding it, the wise people in the Bible said they pondered it in their heart. His dad, when he told him the dream, Jacob said, are you saying your mom and I are going to bow to you? But it says, but he kept thinking about this stuff in his, in his heart. It says about Mary, but she kept it and thought about it in her heart. Sometimes we talk when we ought to be quiet and thinking, right? Back to the little classroom. Um, sometimes we just need to be quiet so we can hear the teacher. But trust enables us to serve. So Joseph's in this bad situation and he looks up one day, and I'm just going to tell you the story here. And he looks at these two guys, and they both are just like, oh, man, they're, they're troubled. Well, you know, it's trouble every day, but you're in prison. What are you going to do about it? So you learn to relax, right? And so Joseph looks at him and goes, hey, remember the prison guard put him in charge of him. He goes, hey, guys, you okay? Because he's in charge of him. He wants to make sure they're all right. And they said, we had some dreams, and we don't know what they mean. But check out what Joseph says about uh, dreams. Uh, I think it's uh, verse Eight is, yeah, why are your faces down today? In verse 9, we've had dreams and no one can interpret them. And Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Again, Joseph brings God. He doesn't say, yeah, I had a dream once. I know just how you feel. I don't know what's going on because I thought I was going to be in charge of everything. And here I am stuck in prison with you guys. Fools to the left of me, jokers to the right. I don't know what's going on. No, instead he says, God's interpreted dreams. Why don't you tell them to him? We'll see what God says about it. So they tell him the dream. And so the, the first one is the cupbearer. He tells a dream. He said, I dreamed that I was, uh, uh, that, well, let me read it. That, that planted a vineyard and I took the, the grapes and I squeezed them in a cup and I gave the cup to Pharaoh. That's what it was his job was back in the day. And Joseph says, the, the three days, uh, uh, the vines with the three branches equals three days. You're going to, your head's going to be lifted up. You're going to be restored to Pharaoh's side. And you're going to be handing the cup. Remember me. Don't forget me when you get there. Nobody knows where I am. Please tell Pharaoh that I'm an innocent dude stuck in prison. And remember that I was kind to you. Well, then the baker didn't get such good news. <laughs> he, uh, he, the interpretation of his dream. Notice uh, the chief baker saw that. He got excited. And he said, I had a dream. There are three cake baskets on my head. And the uppermost basket was full of all sorts of baked food for the Pharaoh. But birds were eating it out of the basket. And Joseph said, oh, well, here's your interpretation. In three days, you're going to be released. But it's not going to go well with you. They're going to kill you. They're going to hang you. Now you have Joseph between two criminals that one is restored and one dies just continuing the image of Christ while he's in prison with us showing us the way out by being faithful and humble so I would like to say that trust enables endurance as well what do I mean by that well look down at verse 21 of chapter 40 He restored, Pharaoh restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. We're going to find out later. It's two years. But because of humility, Joseph is able to endure. He is able to endure. Patience 
is endurance. We read the word patience and we think when we get all upset and agitated that that's called impatience. And, and it, that's a way we use the word and it's right. But, the, but literally in the Bible, patience means to dig in and to get set. That you see trouble coming, but you are not going to give up your position. You will die before you'll move. That's the word the biblical word for patience. And Joseph shows that kind of patience in that prison. He's dug in. He's going to keep serving. And for the next two years, he just continues to serve. And I'm sure during that time, he thought every once in a while, did that dude forget me? Yeah, he did <laughs> for two years. I remember when I was young, going in a restaurant, me and a friend and a bunch of us, and we, they seated us around this corner. It was a little uh, hole-in-the-wall type place. And we were there a long time, and I said, I think they forgot us. So I got up, walked around, found the waitress. I said, hey, are you, I forgot y'all were here. I mean, that's what she said. Yeah, well, we're back here. We're waiting on you. And she came back there. You, you ever been in a spot where you thought God forgot you? You know, when I was talking at the beginning here about how sometimes we react to trouble, like, God, why is all this going on? Why is this happening? David wrote about that in the Psalms. He said, I, 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 why are the wicked prospering and, and it seems the righteous are... He said, I didn't understand until I went to the house of God and I saw their end. You see, the reason we can have patience and endurance and humility here is because of where we're headed. We don't need it now because anything you get now is a temporary thing. The only eternal things are the things that we give. The things we get, thieves steal it, rust corrodes it, moths eat it. And over time, our great structures decay and collapse. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So there's only three eternal things. God, God's word, and the souls of men. And those are the things that we ought to be spending our time with. Patience digs in and just grinds it out. Patience does the work, but it depends on God for the results. We are called to do things. We're called to work. In fact, I started that quote, For by grace you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we are saved unto good works, the next part says. He saved us to do things, but the, when we do those things, we have to realize how, why, we're doing them. We're doing them because they're the command of God. We're doing it to glorify God. And he is in charge of the results of what we are doing. But that takes great humility. And I read chapter 40 verse 21. But go on to verse 1 of 41. After two whole years. Pharaoh dreamed. Now I just wanted you to see. Two years Joseph's in that prison faithfully well, what can you do well first of all are you humble and do you think you have all the answers maybe there's some repentance necessary so put down all pride and walk humbly with God and where there is pride repent just when you feel that pride coming up just put it down just put it back down because if anything good Paul said in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Paul always knew that anything good that happened, it was to the glory of God. Yet, he said at the end of his life, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. 
and I finished my course. He was faithful to the faith. He was faithful to the fight. And he's faithful to the end. Forgot how it was put. Thank you, Brother Doug. I mean, faithful to the end as well. So where there is pride in your life, just stop it. Repent. I found something interesting from a, from a group. You can look it up called DesiringGod.com. You can look them up. Don't look them up too much. You might find some of my sermon notes in there. Not because I submitted them because I stole them. But anyway. Here's, they, gave, they gave seven subtle symptoms of pride. These are the ones that are subtle in our life. And we don't catch it. Fault finding. If you're fault finding, that means you think you know better than everybody else. A pastor friend of mine put a post on his Facebook the other day. Said this. You know, I could have saved a lot of money and time going to school because everybody in my church knows how to run it better than I do. Well, they were finding fault with him, and I guess he was finding fault with them. Right? It's pride both ways. A harsh spirit is the second one. Man, if, if you're just mad at everybody, again, they're just not doing it. As my cousin said to my sister when they were playing as little, little kids, my sister came home and said, Charles doesn't play like God wants him to. <laughs> a harsh spirit, superficiality. Not going deep with God, but just, I wear the right clothes, I say the right things, everything looks good on the surface. That is, a, that is pride. You're trying to show a picture to everybody because they don't want to see. You don't want them to see your weakness, your faults, your troubles defensiveness that's when somebody asks you is it really going that well of course it is why are you asking when you're defensive it's because you got some pride you don't want people to know your troubles a presumption before God I know God is there but I want to be careful to say his name just so when I'm addressing him if I met our current president today, I wouldn't go, hey, Prez, I don't agree with you. I would say, Mr. President, thank you, yes, sir, no, sir. Why? Because he's the president. No matter whether I agree with him or not, I can go for any president. Do you go before God like, well, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just God. No, he's the creator who adopted you, so you get to call him father in love, but don't be presumptuous. Father, because of the blood of Jesus, we come before your throne. This throne of grace that you asked us to come to boldly and lay our petitions before you. And we as your children cry out. It is interesting to me that in the book of Revelation, there are martyrs in heaven praying to God, how long, O oh Lord, are you going to let this keep going on? Think about that. They haven't forgotten their suffering. They haven't forgotten that the brothers and sisters are still suffering here. And they're asking God in heaven, aware of time, how long, O oh Lord, will you let this go on? He says, just take your rest. I got it. Let's not be presumptuous. Desperate for attention. You always got to be the center of attention. And then you neglect others because of all this. Because that's what we're called to do. We're just called to help people. And the greatest men in the world, the truly greatest men in the world, have all been humble and served other people. I promise you. 
you'll find that humility. You might find strong leadership, but you'll find that humility where they serve people without anybody ever knowing it. They don't neglect those around them.